Listener Production. Hey guys, um, in case you didn't pick it up from the title of today's episode, this is about OJ Simpson and um, brutal crimes against his wife. Um, so obviously this episode is going to deal with some themes of domestic violence and we just want to give you a chance to opt out if that's something that you think you'll find a bit difficult and we'll put uh, the contacts and numbers of some support services in the show notes for you as well. Okay. Bye. Okay. <clears throat> Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. This one's going to go smoothly. Hello and welcome back to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland... Oh, ah, <laughs> That's what you get. Yeah, her. Don't tempt fate. That lady. <laughs> And I, Jacob Stanley, are going to give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. And it's our first big story of 2022. First big, just the gist. Mm -hmm. And we've already done breaking news, had to separate that because we just heard it went for like 55 minutes or something. So It's been quarantined. If you've been there, welcome. Take a lie down, have a power nap and come here. Mm Mm-hmm. Because this week, my friends, I am giving you just the gist of one of our most requested topics ever. Oh. I'm giving you just the gist of O.J. Simpson. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. I've been hanging out for this. Okay, and I will say, I have put off doing O.J. Simpson for a while, even though it's a story I've been obsessed with for a really long time. I know you have. I read Jeffrey Toobin's book, the run of his life on this like years ago. Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah, Jeffrey Tubin, mm-hmm. who recently, um, oh, just as an aside, we've already got an aside. Um, he got in trouble because everyone was working via Zoom mm-hmm. during COVID and he was in a Zoom meeting. And while he was in that Zoom meeting, he was um indulging himself. What do you what's some euphemisms? Uh slapping the monkey. Slapping the monkey or what and he insists he thought his Pulling camera was off, but it wasn't. Mm. And it's like, can you not get through one <laughs> meeting? Like, can you not wait? Like, did you like and it's not even an I can do the Adele interview situation. Cause it's not like he thought the meet like I can do the Adele interview. Like, does that really mean like it's hard for you to get through a meeting without doing that. Surprising. Anyway, right. but he did write. He's an incredible journalist. Yeah, sensational. He, he wrote what is considered the book on, mm. um, you know, the whole O.J. Simpson trial. And um, so I read that years ago. And then you're wrong about mm. uh, our favorite podcast. We talk about it all the time. They did an incredibly detailed series on O.J. Simpson that I kept saying. They own it. Mm. Sarah Marshall, host of You're Wrong About, owns owns that now mm-hmm. on in podcast land. Like we, I can't do that, or at least I'll wait till they finish mm. that. Um, but they haven't finished. It is the most detailed account of the OJ Simpson story you're ever going to find, and I highly recommend everybody goes to You're Wrong About and listens to all their OJ Simpson episodes. But it is v- extremely detailed. Mm. Like I think there's eight episodes so far, and they're not even finished. Um, and I'm not sure if they will finish now because uh, the show has changed because mm. the co-host left, Michael. But, um, but you know, we do the opposite of that here. Mm-hmm. We are called just the gist and we give just the gist. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, 
I waited long enough for them f- to finish and they haven't. <laughs> so we're going to do just the gist yeah. today. Plus also I was not able to listen to those episodes because I didn't understand any of the basics mm. of the trial. Like yes. all I know is he was acquitted, there was a glove and there was a Kardashian involved. Yes. It begins and ends there. See, I I love you're wrong about, but like we've always said, I think you're wrong about is the show you listen to to get a degree in something. Mm. We are the show you listen to to get through a dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're, we're the cheat notes. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to give you just the gist of um, OJ Simpson. And I will say that I've focused here just on OJ Simpson. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could have gone into a lot more detail about Nicole Brown, his wife, mm. about the racial stuff going on. About there's There is just endless context mm-hmm. to this story and endless rabbit holes to go down, but I'm just giving you just the gist. Cool. And um, we'll give you all the resources at the end, obviously, and the show notes. Um, but I will say the main things are Jeffrey Tubin's book, The Run of His Life, um, the You're Wrong About episodes, mm-hmm. um, and also the incredible ESPN documentary series. I think it's the only time I've watched ESPN, which is a sports channel. They do documentary. Extremely good ones. Part of a series called 30 for 30. Uh And this was called um, Made in America. And it's a, I think it's a four or five part series. And each episode is like an hour and a half long Mm. going deeply into the context of everything surrounding this Mm -hmm. case and um, the sort of racial context that went into how things ended up and... um, just all of it. Um, mm-hmm. So that documentary is actually, you can watch it on Disney Plus mm-hmm. if you have Disney Plus. Uh-huh. So those are the three main things I used. Wow. <coughs> what about the American crime story? Well, I mean, yeah, I watched that, yeah. but that's a fictional, like, okay. you know, that's right. a, have you watched that? No, I've been waiting. I mean, American crime story is just a fictional retelling of the story, uh-huh. like Ryan Murphy does. Ryan Murphy's the guy who did Glee in American Horror Story and American Crime Story. And um, in American Crime Story, um, uh, OJ Simpson's played by Cuba Gooding Jr., mm-hmm. and one of the main lawyers is played by Sarah Paulson. I mean, it's good. It's yeah. good. Accurate? I guess. Okay. It's, it's sympathetic to Sarah Paulson. To, um, the, the lawyer Sarah Paulson plays, which mm-hmm. in history a lot of people haven't been. Right. Because they lost what everybody assumed was an unlosable case. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Here we go. <gasps> <clears throat> OJ Simpson mm-hmm. is born in 1947. He goes on to become one of the most famous American football players of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, American, what do they call it? Gridiron. Gridiron, yeah. Um, that was before my time. Like, I only remember him as the, like, you know, from his other famous roles, like in The Naked Gun. The Naked Gun. That's and my reference point too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I only remember him from The Naked Gun. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, I think because, I think he played, so he was born in 1947, he played college football. So that would have been in the, uh, late sixties. Mm-hmm. And then he played professional football. So yeah, I think by the eighties he was. Not retired. Yeah, retired from sport. Uh-huh. Um, but because he was he was quite smart about what he was going to be doing once sport was over. Mm. So even while playing football, he was always looking to his career in the future. So he starts doing like bit parts in movies and TV, and mm. then he starts 
um, his own production company and starts playing the lead in like made for TV movies. And Uh he's the most wooden, awful actor. (laughs) But like, he's not terrible, but Mm. he's not. Like when you see someone on Home and Away, you're like, you pass, but you're not going to win an Oscar. You know Mm. what I'm saying? And so he started doing that even while he was still playing football. And he also just got really into media stuff like uh, sports commentary and, you know, being the guy the news cuts to on the sidelines. And he he was always, it seems like he really thought not so much about maintaining and building wealth, but maintaining fame and recognition. Right. He mm-hmm. always was really thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is extremely famous. Like, I don't really understand sport, but he is like beloved. And I was trying to think today of an equivalent, like an Australian equivalent without offending that person because like mm. he went on to murder people. But I'm t- he was so wholesome. Mm. He was so like, I would even say you could call him like, it was people loved him like they currently love Ash Barty. Like uh-huh. he was like America's hero. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the first sports people to kind of cross racial lines. Like he was loved by black and white Americans. Mm. And when journalists used to ask him like, what's it like to be a black man today in America? Because racial tension as now, but you know, this was the 60s, it was mm. high. And he he used to say, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Mm-hmm. So he was already looking to not really having to deal with racial complications if he could climb out of it himself. Mm-hmm. He, he'd be like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. He just had universal appeal. It was like he was like America's uncle. Like uh-huh. everyone loved him. He was this wholesome football star. He starred in a series of Hertz car rental commercials where he was running through the airport and little old ladies and little Girl Scouts were like, go OJ. And he mm. was like, ha ha. And like he, people loved him. And he married his high school college sweetheart. Mm. And he just was a wholesome, famous, beloved American man. Mm-hmm. Then his football career is ending. Um, he divorces his wife, who he'd been cheating on the whole time anyway. He starts dating a young woman, a teenager actually, called Nicole Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a waitress at a restaurant he's at. She's 18 and he's 30. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's extremely controlling from the very start of their relationship, mm. like extremely. And it doesn't take long for that control to morph into abuse. So he makes her quit her job straight away. He makes her move in with him. She mm. had been living with a um, male flatmate, a guy who was gay, but he was like, I don't want you living with a man, move out. So she had to move in with him. Mm. Um he started controlling, like, who she could see. He started controlling where she should go. Like, he pretty much just got his tentacles all over her life so that it was difficult for her to have anything that didn't have something to do with him. Like Kanye's doing to his new girlfriend. Yeah, and I mean, she's 18. Mm. It's her first ever proper boyfriend. So she's like, okay, like, yep. You don't know. I guess she didn't know, know any, any different. Better. Yeah. yeah. Um, the control turns into abuse, which turns into violence. Mm. Um, but as often happens with domestic violence, like Nicole stays because he always promises her afterwards it won't happen again. Mm. I'm sorry. Like, I'll get better. I just need your help. Like, I need your help to make me better. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's not my fault. Like, you provoke me because I love you so much. Ugh. 
Um, and she's young. And she wrote about a lot of this. She wrote diaries and she told friends. So that's mm. how we know that it started this early and he was saying this stuff. And I just think it would be easy to get stuck in something like that if you've never dated anyone before. And also he's super famous. Mm. He's super rich. He's like pulled her into his life in a way that's difficult to extricate herself. Mm -hmm. He starts employing her family members, so they start relying on him Mm -hmm. for, like, their financial well-being. So she just gets, it's like the frog in the slowly boiling water before you realise what's happened. Mm -hmm. Shit, I'm in this. Um, They get married and have two children, Sydney and Justin, and the abuse is ongoing, as is the cheating. He just cheats on her all the time. Um, like every, like both times she gets pregnant, he takes that. He says, I'm not going to sleep with you while you're fat. So he says he's allowed to sleep with women. Oh. And then after, she doesn't lose weight fast enough. So he's oh. like, well, you know, you can't expect me not to sleep around until you've lost the weight, like mm. that kind of thing. He tells her that he thinks um, she should only gain as much weight as a baby weighs. <laughs> Like, which just does not, Uh that's not how it works. But anyway, so um, over the course of their relationship, police are called to the house eight times Mm -hmm. because of violence, but those are the only times on record. Like in her diaries and talking to friends, he hit her a lot more times than that. Mm -hmm. She even took photos of her injuries a lot and she puts them in a safety deposit, deposit box along with some diary entries because she says, if he might kill her one day, she oh. wants that to exist as evidence Fuck. that he probably did it. This was a grim situation. And this is just the gist. So I'm not going to go into like the really gritty details mm. of what he was doing. But, you know, this was extreme violence, yeah. like extreme physical beatings and things mm. all the time. Yep, yep. And um, you can, in the Made in the Mer- Made in America ESPN series, they play a lot of the phone calls of when she called 911. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sounds like a woman who is terrified out of her mind and mm. you can hear him in the background. And he sounds, the rage, it, it's, it was an extremely violent relationship oh, wow. with her at the, you know, receiving end. That's really upsetting. Yeah. Um, but finally, after I think about uh, a decade, she files for divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets her own place, um, and she tentatively agrees to be with him. Like, let's date because she so desperately wants her family to be together. And as is the psychology with women in these relationships, it takes them so many times to leave. They always go back because mm. they, you know, are convinced, you know, that they their partner manipulates them into thinking they can't do any better or they want to keep their family together, which she really does. Mm. I mean, there are so many reasons women stay in relationships like this, which, yeah. you know, we don't have to go into all of them. But, you know, she she does, even though she moves out with the kids and gets her own place, um, she still says to him, well, let's just date. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to, I want the chance for our family to stay together. Mm-hmm. Like, she really wants the family to stay together. Um but, you know, he keeps 
abusing her. Mm. And he does things like threatens to bankrupt her because she relies on him completely. She's not had a job since the day he made her quit her job at 18 mm-hmm. and she's now in her 30s. Like um, he threatens to take the kids, you know, I'm famous, who's going to mm. let the kids stay with you? Um, and, I mean, this is why women take so long to leave because they say leaving is always the most dangerous time because it's when the abuser doubles down and starts behaving even more dangerously because they're losing control over you. Um, And so that's kind of what he starts doing. He starts doing whatever he can to get control back. And, um, like, he starts following her when she's going on dates with men Mm. and going back to the house and watching through the windows, like, while she's with them. And, like, she just gets to the point. Something a friend of her said, it's like one day something in her clicked and she was like, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Like, I'm going to go forward with the divorce. I don't feel anything for him anymore. Like, Mm. I'm, I'm done. And so... She starts living her life and she's in this little place with her kids that's not far from their old family home Mm -hmm. where OJ still lives. And she's really happy. Like, she's socialising on her own for the first time since she was 18 and Mm -hmm. she's thinking about what work she can possibly do. Like, finally, she's 35 at this stage and Mm -hmm. she's been with this man since she was 18 years old. She's never been with anyone else. That's half her life. Yeah. She's, like, coming into her own for the first time Mm. ever. Um, and OJ cannot, he just cannot handle it. Mm. He cannot handle it because he's really, like, she always came back. She always came back. She always came back and he treated her badly and she came back and he would do this and she would come back. And this time he realizes she's not coming back. And then one day their daughter, Sydney, I think, um, Sydney and Justin are about 10 and eight at this point. Mm. About One day their daughter, Sydney has a dance recital And Nicole invites, you know, the whole family, like her sisters and her mother and stuff. And OJ comes and Nicole hasn't saved him a seat in the auditorium. Mm -hmm. And so he has to go sit like somewhere on his own, which makes him furious. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, Nicole and Sydney and Justin and the family go to dinner at a restaurant called um, Mezzaluna which they go to all the time, like they know the staff and stuff. Mm. And um, she tells him he's not invited. He can't come. So the whole family goes to this thing without him. Um, They head home and Nicole's mother realises that she's left her glasses at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. So they uh, call a waiter there who um, Nicole knows socially and he says he'll drop the glasses off at Nicole's house once he's finished his shift. Mm -hmm. At about midnight that night, a couple from Nicole's neighbourhood uh, was returning her dog to their to her house because the dog had been barking for hours and seemed really agitated and he had blood on his feet and legs. Oh. And when they got to Nicole's house to return the dog, they found Nicole and a man's dead bodies in the front yard. They'd been brutally murdered. They were stabbed like... Not just stabbed, but it looked like something had been done with complete rage. Uh-huh. I'm just going to say here what actually happened. Yeah. Because there's all this, when you get into the court case and they've got their defense and then it gets into like, who did what and me? He didn't really do it. I'm like, no, he did it. Yeah. We know he did it. We know how he did it. Mm. So I'll just say here quick, like, I'll, I'll tell you how he did it. I'll Take tell you away. what happened. Yeah. He went 
to that house that night in rage about what had happened that day. And I mean, everything proceeding. He went there with a knife wearing brown leather gloves and like a knitted ski cap, which is like a beanie. Mm. He knocked on the door. And when Nicole answered the door, he pulled her outside and immediately started stabbing her. This is when Ron Goldman, who was just a waiter at the restaurant, arrived to return the glasses. Oh, man. Ron Goldman's 25 years old. He's a waiter at the restaurant. He's bringing the glasses over. And he walks in on OJ killing Nicole. Mm. And so OJ turns on him and kills him. Um, He then goes back over to Nicole, who was still alive, (gasps) and took the knife and slit her throat. Oh, God. I know. And um, I'll just say this is something that is speculated, but a lot of people think this is why he knew to do this. He had been filming a new TV show called The Frogmen, which was about like Navy divers, divers like mm. Army, Navy, SEAL people. And part they had to do a lot of Navy training. And part of the training was when you're doing stealth operations, you know to wear leather gloves and a, a ski cap, which he was wearing. Mm. And one of the main things they taught them in the, the actors in the training of how to make things look real was how to take someone's life the right way across their throat like that. And so they think maybe that's where he even got the idea to do it. That's like pure speculation though. Mm -hmm. I don't anyway, but that's... It kind of adds up. It kind of adds up. It all adds up. Everything adds up. Because he did it. Um, Did you know, I didn't know there were two victims. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was just Nicole. No, it was Nicole and the waiter. Terrible and tragic enough, but wow. People, Ron Goldman's family often get really frustrated that he's always like a footnote in this yeah. whole story. But he, he was a he was young. He was twenty five. He'd done some modeling. He's really handsome in a very nineties mm. way. He like was planning to open his own restaurant. He'd done a bit of acting. He just seemed like a really solid, nice young guy mm. who like knew Nicole a bit socially because she would go to the restaurant a lot with her friends and. Um, he just happened to be the one who took the glasses there that night. Oh, man. I know. <sighs> okay, continue. So, um, we're still on what OJ did. Yep. So, um, after, while at the scene, mm-hmm. he'd killed Nicole and he'd killed Ron. He dropped one of the gloves he was wearing and the little cap, knitted cap thing. Mm-hmm. Um, after the murders, he drove home in his white Bronco, which is like a four-wheel drive, Mm -hmm. um, parked it on the side of the house because he had organized for a limo to be waiting there to pick him up to take him to the airport for a work trip. Mm -hmm. And he wanted the limo driver to think that he'd been inside getting ready the whole time. Uh So he sort of parked his Bronco to the side so the limo driver couldn't see him and jumped the fence and snuck in the side of his property. Mm -hmm. And as he was sneaking past a guest house on the property, um, he kind of like bashed on the side a bit. Mm. And the friend later said it like freaked him out because he could hear someone outside the side of the guest house. Mm. Um, That's also where OJ dropped the other glove of the pair of gloves. Um, He then went inside, got rid of his clothes, Mm. got dressed, picked up his luggage and went out to meet the limo driver like, oh, yep. I've been inside packing for the work trip. Let's go Mm -hmm. to the airport. The limo driver 
took him to the airport where he went to Chicago. That is what happened. Mm. (laughs) But Mm. there's going to be a lot of speculation about that after this. But that is what I, I say. I mean, look, allegedly, but he also, that is what happened. Right. That's what he did. There are other revisions to the history, but sure. that is the... That's what he did. That's what happened. Right. Yeah. So, back at Nicole's house where the neighbours have just returned the dog mm. and found her and Ron's bodies. Police are called. Mm-hmm. They get there and um, go into the house and realise that it's Nicole Brown Simpson just by photos and yep. letters and whatever around the house. Mm-hmm. The awful thing is... The children were upstairs asleep the whole time. <gasps> he did that while his children were upstairs. Oh, man. They didn't wake up. Mm. Well, so they say. I mean. Mm. Um, they take the kids. Um, because the police know it's Nicole Brown Simpson and they had been called out to um, her old family home a bunch of times for domestic violence calls, mm. they know where OJ Simpson lives so they're like, we better send a team over there mm. to see what's going on. Or I mean, he's famous. It could be someone was trying to kill both of them or, yep. you know, we don't know. Mm. Um, they had found the knitted cap and the bloody glove at Nicole's house. Yeah. They get to um, OJ Simpson's house. They see the white Bronco out the side of the house. It has blood on the driver's oh. side door. It also has blood inside, mm. like, where the driver sits. And so here's where the story goes two ways. The police say that the blood on the driver's side door gave them enough reason to believe that something bad was going on. Like Mm. either he had done something or something might Mm -hmm. be happening to him, but it gave them enough cause to be able to say, we need to jump the fence and get into this property to see what's going on. Yeah, a smear of blood on a car will do that. Exactly. O.J. Simpson's lawyers later say that the policeman who jumped the fence did it because he wanted to plant evidence. Oh. So that policeman was a guy called Mark Furman and, like, there's no two ways about it, he was a racist piece of shit. Mm. Um, it came out later in the trial that he had once been interviewed by a screenwriter wanting to write about the LAPD and she had hours and hours of him just saying the most awful racist things about African-Americans uh-huh. and black people in America. Like, mm-hmm. it just, you know, if there's a record for saying the N-word the most amount of times in an hour-long tape, he wins it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just, and he also had a record of excessive violence against African-Americans. He'd also <laughs> tried once to sue the LAPD pension fund mm-hmm. saying, can I please quit the police and get my pension fund now because working as a policeman around all these black people for so long has made me super racist, so I need to retire. And they were like, no. (laughs) So he was, there is no two ways about it, he was a racist piece of shit. And he had also once been to OJ's house on one of the calls Mm -hmm. when Nicole was beaten up. So um, not only was he racist in general, but he particularly disliked O.J. Simpson because of that. Uh Um, So he jumps the fence Mm -hmm. after they see the blood on the Bronco to go inside O.J.'s property. And while inside, he goes down the side of the guest house and he's the one who finds the other glove. Right. 
And so this is where the lawsuit all ends up coming down to this glove and whether or not it was planted. I mean, normally there's a murder and there's one bloody glove there and there's one bloody glove there. There you go. But they're saying Mark Furman planted that second glove. Racists ruin everything. Yeah. Um, There was so much other evidence, though, I just want to say now. There was a blood trail from the scene out to where a car was. Mm. They then found blood on his car. They then found a blood trail from his car all the way into his house, all the way up into his bedroom. And there was only three types of DNA in that blood. Mm. His, Ron Goldman's, and Nicole Brown Simpson's. Right. (sighs) And they claimed that this Mark guy had Had planted planted all that blood. The glove, yeah. So... Um, when the police try to find OJ mm. that night, he's in Chicago because mm. he'd gone on that business trip. When they call him in, in his hotel room and tell him Nicole is dead, he th- theatrically screams, no, not Nicole, not Nicole, and says he'll come home, hangs up, doesn't ask how she died. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> like, you'd be like, car accident? Yeah, or, right. Yeah. Mm. So his flight to Chicago, they already knew from the flight manifest that the flight had left so late that it was possible he could have done the murder Mm. beforehand. So he's then the main suspect. He flies home and he has a big cut on his hand and they, the police take him into the station and he's so cocky, he doesn't even have a lawyer with him. He agrees to talk with them. Mm. They interview him for less than half an hour Mm. because the officers who interview him are apparently just like so starstruck. And they're like, how'd you get that cut on your hand? And he's like, and he gives them no, he's like, oh, I don't know, you know, I play golf and, oh, oh, actually, I broke a glass or, you know, I'm not sure. And they're like, what time did you go? Because he had gone and got McDonald's that night. They're Mm. like, what time do you get McDonald's? Well, you know, like, I guess it's about seven, but, I mean, what is time? Like, maybe Mm. Like He just literally says nothing for half an hour and they're like, oh, my God, it's O.J. Simpson. And then they let him go. They They let him sign an autograph? They Probably. Mm. They let him go. And that was the only time he will ever be interviewed by police because You're the next kidding. day he lawyers up and, of course, they don't let police near him. <sighs> so there's a funeral a couple of days later that he goes to mm. um, and she, it's an open casket mm. and she has to wear a dress that goes all the way up to her chin because he had actually oh. almost decapitated Oh, Oh. Yeah. This guy's a fucking monster. Yeah, yeah. So he hires some very fancy lawyers, a guy called Bob Shapiro, who's mm-hmm. like a very famous celebrity lawyer, John Travolta in the um, American, American Crime, Crime Story. Story. Mm-hmm. You really should watch it. It's amazing. I'm going to. Um, And his best friend at the time, his and Nicole's best couple friend that they hung out with was mm-hmm. Robert Kardashian and Chris Kardashian. The Kardashian girls' parents. Yes. So Robert and Chris had since divorced and she'd remarried... um, uh, Jenna. uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Um, Robert Kardashian was... uh, I think he had a girlfriend, but, you know, they had joint custody of the kids. And he was a lawyer. He... I don't think he was a lawyer anymore, but, like, he he knew law, Mm -hmm. whatever. Lawyers, you know, 
you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Robert Kardashian and Bob Shapiro are kind of like the initial team that start liaising with police and they say, look, he's mostly pretty sedated, like he's on a lot of Valium. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the police say, we've got enough evidence now to arrest him mm-hmm. and um, you need to, and like the Bob Shapiro says, well, you've got to let us come in and surrender because he's famous and you can't like just come and handcuff him. That's not fair. Like, will self-surrender at 11 a.m. tomorrow. And so the police are like, okay. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, he takes off. Oh, yeah. He and his best friend, AJ Cowling, AJ, AJ and OJ. AJ had been his best friend since high school. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ had bought the exact same car as him because he loves him so much. So they take off in a white Bronco, but mm-hmm. he was his friend. It's the same car, but it was his friend's car, which a lot. Mm. Anyway, so they take off in AJ's white Bronco. And um, OJ later claims that he he drove off with AJ with the intention to kill himself. But later in the car, they find a passport, a wig, a mustache, and (laughs) $10,000 in cash. So I don't think he ever truly planned to take his own life. I think he was fucking gunning to Mexico where there's no extradition. Um, So because he had been meant to turn himself in at 11 a.m., all the press was at the police station ready Mm. to film it. And then 11 a.m. comes and goes and they don't turn up. Mm. And immediately it's like, what's going on? And then the police have to go out to the press and be like, "Uh, yeah, we just talked to his lawyers and... They said they went upstairs for like a minute and while they were up there, he just ran off. (laughs) (laughs) So so they're like, OJ Simpson, one of the most famous people in the world, is now a fugitive on the loose. Uh And like, bam, it's the biggest news story in the US, if not the world, immediately. And then Bob Shapiro and Robert Kardashian hold their own press conference Mm -hmm. and basically say... He took off. We were only gone for a second and we think he's going to kill himself because, and then Robert Kardashian pulls out this note that OJ has left Mm -hmm. and dramatically reads the note. And it's like, you know, I never wanted my life to end up this way. I've never loved anyone more than I love Nicole, Mm. blah, 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 blah. Love OJ Simpson. Mm. So they're basically holding this, press conference implying this is a suicide note. Yeah. Um, but because it's such a huge story and LA has like police chases and stuff, they have chop news choppers. And so the news choppers are like up in the air listening to the police radio and they hear he's in a white Bronco, he's on the freeway, bam, choppers are on top of him in minutes. Mm-hmm. And so it's on TV like straight away live uh-huh. on TV is this white Bronco, Mm -hmm. and it's not much of a chase because AJ Cowling is driving down the freeway at about 40 kilometers an hour, like really slow, and OJ is in the back seat holding a gun, (gasps) and there's about 20 police cars trailing behind them, kind of like a presidential motorcade. Uh Like, and basically... They're filming it and the world goes crazy. They cut into, there was like a major basketball game that they cut off. It was the worst ratings day in history for soap operas because for like the first time ever, people turned off soap operas to go and watch this Uh chase. And 
I mean, they're not really chasing him. They're mainly giving him a police escort. Mm. And here's the thing, and this is just the gist, so obviously we can't, I'm not going to give you a huge amount of history about the racial context Mm. of this, but there is a massive racial context to all of this. Mm. So what's happening with OJ right now is coming at the tail end of what had been a really horrific time of police brutality and violence against black mm. Americans, which is still happening today. It's why we have Black Lives Matter. We mm. are, Every week we see stories coming out of the US of unarmed black people just being shot yeah. or killed by police for no mm. good reason. Um, so the LAPD was widely considered to be the worst in the country mm. when it came to racism, particularly against um, African-Americans and the Rodney King trial had not been very long ago. Rodney King was quite infamous because it was a black man who was brutally beaten on the side of the road, but it was the first time it was caught on film. Mm. Someone was secretly filming it. And then those police who did it went to court and were found um, not guilty. So that caused riots Mm. in LA. There was a huge amount of unrest because, I mean, Black people were like, you have it on video mm. and still it doesn't matter. Like, you do not care about us. Yeah. You do not care about our lives. And, I mean, Rodney King is probably the most famous example of the time, but it is only one of many, many examples yeah. of extreme police brutality against black people, not just in the US, but in particular by the LAPD yeah. in Los Angeles. And so knowing that the cameras were on them Mm. and that also OJ is a celebrity who kind of transcends race because he's so universally beloved, the police were really trying not to look harsh. It was like, do not F this up Mm. because everybody thinks we're racist because you can... Most of the time, Um, Any other black man, they would have put spikes on the road, stopped the car immediately, and they would have dragged him out of that car dead or alive. Mm. Like, they would have just done what they had to do. But because of who this was and so much of the racial tension that was in the city at the time, Mm. they just kind of followed behind the white Bronco politely asking him (laughs) to pull over. (laughs) So he had a cell phone because he was like a rich person. Um, So they're talking to him, like a negotiator's talking to him and he's saying he wants to go to his mum's house. house. He's saying he wants to go to Nicole's grave. He's saying, like, he's he's all over the place. Um, And people are obsessed. Like, Domino's had a 40% spike in sales during this airing on TV. Um, People were, like, mainly the African-American community in L.A., were rushing out to the streets to support him so they could see where he was heading and if he was going to drive past you, they were running out there to cheer him on. Like, they were all going, go, OJ. Like, because they were like, maybe once for us, someone from our community won't be screwed over by the police. Like, for the first time ever, like, a black person is in control of this situation. Yeah, And you know what? Yeah. Mm. So they were like, go, OJ, go. Uh And, um... So eventually, 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 the negotiator on the car phone convinces him to go home and he does, but the car kind of sits in his driveway for a while because he's very cleverly waiting for it to get dark so that the choppers can't get footage of him getting pulled out of the car and arrested. Mm -hmm. So as soon as it gets dark, he, you know, puts his hands up, comes out of the car Mm -hmm. and 
he is arrested for the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he was quite evidently a flight risk with that fake mustache <laughs> in the car, <laughs> uh, he's held in prison until trial. Um, and the trial is a circus, a circus. It's filmed and aired on TV every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the judge, Judge Ito, was like, Judge Ito was kind of a bit of a fame whore. So he let a lot of the theatrics happen. Like, for example, one day he was late back to court because he was having lunch with Larry King in his office. Like he became like one of the most famous people in America for the duration of the trial. And the trial ended up up going for like almost nine months. Uh Um, And there's a lot of detail about this trial. So I recommend listening to like You're Wrong About if you want detail, but I'll just say that just the gist of this trial is it came down to race Mm -hmm. and it came down to that glove. Uh That's what it came down to. So the prosecutors, Marsha Clark and Chris Darden, like I said, had so much DNA evidence. They had a literal trail of blood from the murder to his bedroom, Mm. to his bedroom. (laughs) They had a pair of bloody gloves, Mm. one at the murder scene and one at his house. Like, and the DNA in all of that blood only matched the three people involved. Mm. But, like, this was a time where people didn't understand DNA yet. Like, DNA was quite new, particularly in trials. Most anyone knew of DNA at that point was from that little animation at the start of Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park. yeah. Where they teach them how, you know, we put the mosquito in the amber and then we took the DNA from the amber and that's DNA. Mm. Like They actually, I've heard they played that at the trial to explain. Really? People did not, like, if that was at a trial today, it would take one day for people to go, yep, he did it. Because DNA is DNA. It matches one person. Plus he had motive. Plus he had opportunity. But even, you know, like, but but back then DNA was new. People Mm. didn't. Lawyers knew about it. it. Police knew about it. Juries? Mm. No. Didn't know about it. Except from Jurassic Park. (laughs) Um, So OJ's team took advantage of the fact that nobody really understood the DNA evidence and they were like, let's make this about racism and corruption. Mm. So even though he had not really um, made himself any kind of hero of the black community in LA or America, in fact, he'd always said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Mm. Like he'd not really done anything for that community or considered himself part of that community. Like as soon as he was rich and successful enough, he was like, bye. Mm. Um, They made it about race Mm. and made it about corruption against him because he was a black hero. Mm -hmm. And the jury was majority African-American. And his team said that Mark Furman, the policeman who found that glove, had planted it there because he was super racist. Mm. And they also said that any other DNA and blood from the scene or from OJ's house had obviously been compromised by a racist police force. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of, when you watch the Made in America documentary, there are a lot of um, really sort of respected African-American men who say they didn't like that he suddenly turned around and started using his race to get out of a murder charge. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. like when he'd 
barely acknowledged yeah, he'd done nothing his background to people that whole previously. time. Mm. Yeah. Even they said that um when he when they arrested him at his house in Brentwood, Brentwood is like the whitest of white mm. rich communities in Los Angeles. And um they were like he was very much the only man of color in that neighborhood mm. by a long shot. And while the Bronco chase was happening, mm. um, a whole bunch of African-Americans from around LA had come to his house mm. and were sta- they'd made signs while the race was on and they were all standing there at his house waiting for him to pull in in the mm. Bronco. So he pulls in, gets arrested, and as they're driving away in the police car, they said he was, like, shocked looking around at all these black supporters who had come and he said, what are all these... No. Doing in Brentwood. Um, so he, you know, he, mm. but. <laughs> that's, we already know he's a piece of yeah, shit. He's a, yeah. piece of, he's a piece of shit. Um, okay. So they, his team was basically saying, even if, even if DNA is real, because we don't really get <laughs> DNA, um, even if it, 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 obviously it's been planted and mm. obviously it's been, you know, obviously that glove's been planted and, you know, the testimony by Mark Furman was a disaster because it was, he was just so racist and mm. awful. And then in what is considered one of the most infamous courtroom blunders in history, mm. Chris Darden decides without Marsha's permission that he wants OJ to try on the glove to prove that it's his glove. Mm-hmm. So OJ tries it on. He has to have a latex glove on his hand mm-hmm. because it's evidence. He tries it on and he and he stands up and he he kind of makes it really theatrical. He's like trying to pull the glove down and he's like struggling and he's looking at the jury going, I can't, I don't, I don't, I'm just shrugging at them like I can't really do it. And then he's like, and he goes, doesn't fit, doesn't fit. And then the courtroom, the world is like, gasp, the glove doesn't fit. Okay, and if you think about this logically, mm-hmm. it's so, I, I don't understand this because what his team is saying is that a racist policeman planted the glove, but then they're like, oh, but look, it's not OJ's glove anyway because it doesn't fit so why would the policeman have planted a glove that wasn't his? Of a like random size. It's yeah. they they are just arguing every point. It doesn't matter. Mm. So they're just like the glove doesn't fit, and it's like as loudly as you yell that, that becomes what it's about. Plus, we're talking leather that's been blood soaked, right? Mm. Yeah, and also his team lawyers on his team admitted later that they suspected the prosecution was going to ask him to try it on. So they told him not to take his arthritis medication for weeks beforehand. So his fingers were basically locked Ah. and swollen. Yeah. They think, okay, it was a major misstep. And Chris Darden was a black man who had been brought onto the case quite late. Mm. And black members of the jury that they interviewed said later, the second he walked in the door and was suddenly standing at the table with white Marsha Clark, we were like, we're not idiots. You didn't have to bring a black lawyer onto Mm. your side. Mm. Like, they felt really manipulated by that. They were like, the only reason they've brought this Chris Darden in is because Mm -hmm. he's the same colour as us. And so already the jury felt... Um, distrustful of him, they mm-hmm. say. 
And then he was just copying a lot of flack from the black community Mm. for being on the prosecuting side against OJ. He was copying so much flack. And they think that he did the glove thing out of desperation because, like, they weren't sure that they they thought they were losing. And he was like, this will be, he'll just try on the glove, it'll fit, and that will be it. It's done. Yes. He was just... He'd got caught up in a case that he didn't want to be a part of. He was being vilified by his own community. And Marsha said to him, you do not know what's going to happen. And when you're a lawyer, you never do something unless you know what's going to happen. Mm. And But he did it anyway. And Marsha said, I just had to sit that you can't, I just had to sit there and let him do it. Yeah. And it was a disaster. Oh, man. It was a disaster. So... Is it true someone said if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit? Yeah. So uh-huh. the glove thing sticks. and. Even though no matter all the evidence, everything, in the closing arguments of the case, OJ's lawyer got up and said the very famous line, it doesn't matter what's happened, it doesn't matter what you've heard, it doesn't matter. The one thing you need to remember in that verdict room when you're trying to decide if he's guilty or not guilty is if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Mm. Smart. Yeah. I mean, they always say that Jury trials aren't about evidence. They're about performance. They're about showmanship. They're about, you know. Oh, so. I know that from watching Ally McBeal yeah, growing up. exactly. Yeah. So, so normally it would take days, even a couple of weeks, mm. for a jury to deliberate on a case like this. They went into the verdict room and they had a verdict in four hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bob Shapiro had gotten on a plane to go on holiday and he had to fly back. Wow. Four hours. Um, and, and everyone in the world was watching. It was absolutely unanimous. They came back with not guilty on <gasps> both counts of murder. He was free. Wow. The jury has copped a lot of shit about this over the years. Um, Quite a few of them have given various explanations as to why they went that way and what Mm. happened in the room. One black female juror said um, in the Made in America documentary on ESPN Mm. that they had done it as payback for Rodney King. She, yeah, she openly admitted that. But other jurors say, no, that's ridiculous. That's not it at all. The pros- They said the prosecution, everybody forgets this, they did a bad job. Mm. Like they failed to prove so many of their points. Mm. And when we sat there in the room, we just didn't think they'd proven it beyond a reasonable doubt. Other people say they had been locked up for more than eight months. Like this jury was sequestered, so it mm. meant they're in a locked hotel room, like being in COVID quarantine, mm. but they're not allowed TV, they're not allowed internet in case they see anything. So they're just given um, books mm. or old VHS movies. Mm. That's all they're allowed. And then they go to the um, court in the day and mm. then they go back, they're locked in there over the weekend and that's eight months of their life. And so they were losing it. Are they allowed to interact with each other in that time or are they They're allowed to in interact with each other only at meals and in the jury room. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So they they wanted out. Do they like, still do it that way? Uh, I think on some big trials they really? do. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, they want they were done. Yeah. They were done and they just didn't feel like it had been proven and they voted if they said they voted a few times in that 4 hours and there was a few not guilties mm-hmm. but it was ne- it was like 2 to 9 like or how many 12 it was like 2 to 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then it was just like, come the F on. Mm. And then those two people just like then slowly over the four hours, the not guilty votes disappeared. And then they were, I mean, the guilty votes disappeared and mm. they were like, let's go. Uh-huh. We're done. Um, everyone says it was the glove, like the glove did it. But I mean, quite a few of the jurors just said, no, there was a lot of holes in, in their case. Mm. The glove, we could see that was theatrics. One juror said, I could tell he wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to put his hand in it. He wasn't mm. trying to make it fit. But I mean, I truly just think like from the very first night where they only interviewed him for 20 minutes, mm. combined with the very tense racial context of the city over the last decade, all of that came together to kind of just create this perfect storm in which he would be found not guilty. Mm-hmm. It was a bungled case and it was racial tension and he just happened to be the very lucky recipient of that ending up in a not guilty verdict. Wow. Yeah. What? So the oh. world stopped to watch that like, I don't think there's been any court case li- like, because it was live every day. Mm-hmm. And that guilty, not guilty moment where the juror stands, although I think it was a court clerk stands up and says, mm. blah, blah, blah. Um, it, there was not a person on the planet, not in front of a television. And what was the public sentiment? Like, did most people... It was think- racially divided. Really? Yeah, it was racially divided. Because people... I, I do not begrudge the, like, the black community for... Th- thinking that it was corrupt against him because the police force had always been corrupt against yeah. them. Mm. Why not? Like, you know? So, and but then there was, and people say that this was part of, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Marsha Clark's, a big misfire in her strategy was she had prosecuted a lot of domestic violence cases mm. um, and quite a lot involving uh, like the black community or the Hispanic community, like the uh, communities of color in LA. Um, and so she really thought the women on this jury are going to be on my side mm-hmm. because this is a, she thought it was a case about violence against women. But I think it's a very white woman thing to do to think about it only in the way it would affect you. Mm. She just thought, she looked at the case and saw violence against women. She didn't look at the case and see the racial context and tension mm. behind it. Mm. She, it just didn't even occur to her yeah, yeah. that that was an issue, like that that was part of it. And yeah. so she didn't, it, she wasn't expecting them to use that strategy. She wasn't expecting to have to argue against anything like that. That was why at the last minute she was like, oh, better bring in my black colleague. Mm to sit at the table because she she was caught unawares because, you know, it's just so often you don't think outside your own yeah. experience. Gosh. I mean, far out. I can see how that is a blind spot for her, but mm. I have heard many, many stories of times that black men have been wrongfully accused and mm. convicted of murdering in particular yeah. white women. Yeah. So with that history, of course. it does make sense that people would be very sceptical. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, you know, the whole thing was kind of a farce though because it, the fact that afterwards... Um, the police weren't looking for some cold-blooded murderer because mm. it's like, well, if he's not guilty, then there is a psychopathic stabber yeah. out there. Police never looked. Prosecutor never looked. He promised that he would spend 
to all his money till the end of his days to mm. find the person who really killed Nicole. He didn't do anything. Because it was just kind of quietly assumed he did it mm. and we bungled the case and there's no other killer out there. Mm-hmm. So that's it. But um, both Nicole Brown Simpson's and Ron Goldman's family, you know, were furious, obviously, mm. um, although things were slightly more complicated with the Brown family because the kids were involved. He got custody of his kids. <gasps> of course. Oh, he was yeah. found not guilty. Yeah, yeah. Oh. They had been living with her parents. Mm. Um, he got custody of the kids, so, you know, that's delicate for them to mm. manage that when they want to keep seeing their grandkids, yeah. nieces, you know, oh. nephew. Um Ron Goldman's family were relentless, though, in mm. trying to get him to pay in some way. So they um, had him charged in civil court, which is mm-hmm. where you're not being charged criminally. So if he's found guilty, he doesn't get set in prison, he has to pay yep. damages, money. Um, and so he goes on trial for the same thing and the prosecutors in that trial had learned from all of the mistakes mm. <laughs> from the prosecutors in the first trial And he is just found so easily guilty in like two seconds. It is just so obvious because Mm. he had to take the stand in the civil trial. He couldn't avoid it. Uh And he just collapsed in on their questions. Like he could not, he had no answers for several Uh things. Like they just, he was guilty. Mm. They found him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in the civil trial. And there's footage of him being interrogated in the civil trial in the Mm. Made for America, Made in America documentary and it's really chilling to watch mm-hmm. because he he's like, like you can tell he's lying and he mm-hmm. doesn't know how to answer their questions mm-hmm. and they're calling him out on things and he looks furious mm-hmm. like he's he's caught out mm-hmm. that like superstar facade like a guy who always knows how to act on camera you see it fading yeah it's oh it's chilling um so he's found guilty mm-hmm. in the civil trial and he's ordered to pay Nicole and Ron's families $33.5 million. But rich people always know how to protect their money, mm. so he immediately declares bankruptcy and moves to Florida where his assets can be protected. Uh-huh. He doesn't have as much money. Like, he'd spent so much of his money on lawyers and yeah. stuff. He's not as rich as he once was a couple years ago, but mm. he has massive, like, famous football players have big pensions. Like, he's got money he can live off that mm-hmm. in Florida they cannot touch as part of his punishment. Right. But the Goldmans would not let it go. Good. Would not let it go. Ron Goldman's dad, I love him so much. Yeah. He is just like, F that guy. Mm. Um, and so anytime he tried to make money in even the saddest way, they were like, give us that money. <laughs> you know, like they would not let it go. Mm. And he was trying to make money in some really sad ways, like seedy nightclub appearances and, like, going to shopping malls and sitting at a table selling autographs. And it'd be like a dollar would get put in a pocket, in a bucket, and Ron Goldman would be like, thank you. Like, he was not letting it go. Good. Yeah. Um, The most famous way he tried to make money was selling a book called If I Did It, (gasps) in which he wrote an entire book about how he did did the murders if (gasps) he did the murders. No. So he signed this multi-million dollar book deal, had a ghostwriter helped him write it. Obviously, he didn't write it himself. And Ron Goldman was like, I don't effing think so. And he got the judge, not, they didn't kibosh the book. Mm -hmm. You know what he did? He got the judge to give them the rights to the book because Mm -hmm. they are owed money. So the judge said yes. They had the book published and they put the word if 
in just the tiniest, Stop tiniest. It. So the cover yes. is, I did it. Oh. And it's only if you get a microscope. <laughs> Look, you can see oh. the word if. That's the so sort then, of pettiness I love. Um, but you know what? It's not. It's not petty because he got he he wasn't criminally charged, right? Mm. And sometimes it's like with big corporations. The only way you can get these people to feel the punishment where it hurts is to make them pay an amount of money yeah. that will really affect their life. Yep. And he was like, "So no, I'm not going to pulp that book. I'm going to publish it, and I'm going to make it look like you are like." You're guilty, yeah. and then I'm going to let you watch as we collect the profits from it. You know I what I mean? It. Like, it's like don't let him don't because the Brown family, when they did that thing with the book, got really angry at the Goldmans and said, "Stop this! Why are you going after him? Just mm. leave it. Like, just please let it be." And the Goldmans were like, "No, mm. no. Every time he tries to make money, no matter what way, we are getting that money." Yeah. So the only money he's allowed to keep is like his pension. So mm-hmm. anytime he tries to make money, the gold the Goldmans are in there mm-hmm. with the handout going, pay up, murderer. I love them. They're fantastic. I know. Um, so he plotted along in Florida Florida as a degrade celebrity. Mm. He um had a prank show called Juiced, and it was kind of like punked. So, and in one no, because OJ, yeah, orange in one juice. Of, yeah, in one oh. of the pranks, he was trying to, as OJ, sell people a white bronco with a bullet hole that he'd circled with a sharpie and autographed, and he put an ad in the paper and was trying to sell this bronco to people. And then at the end of the prank, it'd be like, "You got juiced." That show. Um, only lasted one episode. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. That's foul. Um, then in 2007, OJ had been trying to make money and keeping that money away from the Goldmans by basically illegally selling memorabilia. Mm-hmm. So he was sign- He would just sign anything, sell it, sign mm-hmm. anything, sell it. He was selling a lot of his own. He had a massive collection of his own memorabilia that he was also selling off, desperately mm-hmm. trying to make money. Um and he heard one night that some guy in Las Vegas was selling memorabilia of his that he insisted had been stolen from a storage locker. Mm. Turned out later that the guy had bought it at the storage locker because, you know, when you don't pay storage locker fees, like yeah. the storage wars, mm-hmm. they just sell all the stuff in the storage locker. So this yeah. guy had bought it legitimately, but OJ was like, some guy's in a hotel room selling my memorabilia. So he got a bunch of um, his thug friends, they went up to this um, hotel room and basically, like, did an armed robbery on this guy. Mm. Um, He was arrested because the guy had a secret camera in there. He was arrested and found guilty and the judge sentenced him to 33 years in prison, which was pointedly almost the exact amount he would have got for. Right. Yeah. (gasps) So he was sentenced to 33 years in prison for pulling a gun on, like, a pawn shop owner in a lost, seedy Las Vegas hotel room. Wow. He served um, nine years. Mm. He was released in 2017. No. You can now follow him on Twitter <gasps> where he talks about his support of Trump and his distrust of, of vaccines. Of course he does. And that... And that's why you're off Twitter. (laughs) 
that's why I'm off Twitter. And that was just the gist of OJ Simpson. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm speechless. Yeah. So he, he would have only got 33 years had he been found guilty. Um, No, I think it was like she had done, the way the judge read out, because she added all these months up and I just remember at the time people were saying that she had picked a particular number that was poignant to mm-hmm. the case of the murders. Okay. Yeah. This is effed. Yeah. So wrong. So he got parole after nine years. He was released in 2017. His um, parole ended last year. So mm. he is now complete free man. Just a free man. Yeah. And in his parole, Twitter. in his parole video, like they, there's video of his hearing, mm. and he just looks really old. Um, you know, he was talking about how he'd started a football league for the mm. inmates, and um, but then that he posts videos of himself on Twitter all the time, and he's just that old seedy mm. showman, like. He still just does nightclub appearances and stuff. Is Florida is a weird place? Like no that's why they call it America's penis. Like mm-hmm. he, people still treat him like he's famous there. Like he still gets approached for autographs and restaurants, and that's what he loves. Mm. He just, you know, so that's always been about the fame for him. Yeah. Yuck. Mm. He's gross. Have you read? If I did it, no, no. No, mm. I don't, you know. I think the Goldmans would probably prefer no one buy it, but if if he was going to publish it and sell it, they were like, well, you're not getting any of that money. They get the coin. Yeah. Uh-huh. But to this day, they have not, I don't think they've even got like, uh, I can't remember what they said, but they were like, the money that we've spent on lawyers and everything, we're, we're behind. Mm. Like we've we've never made, profit's the wrong word, but mm. they've, They've never made any substantial money off that settlement. It's just been settlement. about blocking him yeah. from profiting. Man. And so I'm assuming this is my understanding that because of job, uh, double jeopardy, they can't try him a second time for that's, the same crime. That's why he could write if I yeah. did it. <laughs> he like, That's why. But I love what they so did wild. with the, putting the if so tiny. That's genius. Wait, look it up right now. Look up the cover. You'll mm-hmm. love it. I just... Ron Goldman, he's interviewed quite extensively in the Made in America documentary and he is just a brilliant man, just still campaigning for justice for his son and Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) You you see it? Yeah. You can't see the if. It just says, I did it. Yeah. So the if is actually sort of hidden away inside the I Mm. of I did it. Confessions of the killer. Yeah. In bold. Wow. And then there's a picture of OJ wearing the gloves, which actually look like they kind of do fit in that picture. Mm. Wow. I need to lie down after that. Was that what you thought the story was? like? You filled in so many blanks that I didn't even know were blanks Mm. for me. Like... I didn't know there was a second victim. Mm. I didn't know about all the blood trails and all of that evidence that existed. I had no idea about the defense that a cop had planted, yeah. all of the evidence. There were so many things that I just had no idea about. Yeah. Um, and I, I did know that he'd eventually wound up in jail for theft of some sort, but mm. I, yeah, that was 
Perfect. It's a good one. Thank you. I think, though, we should probably end by saying the one thing we should remember is, you know, two people were murdered. Absolutely. And it often does get co-opted by him. And the reason I called this just the gist of O.J. Simpson is because, you know, we, we were sort of doing a, a, a just the gist of his life and, and what he, you know, the awful crime that should define his mm. life. Um, but Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman very often get left caught up. I mean, you'd never even heard that Ron Goldman was part of it. No. And she was only 35 and he was only 25. Yeah. And they were both brutally murdered by someone who then just kind of went on. He jokes about it now. It's foul. He jokes about it all the time. It's such a disgrace. Like, because the only way, he's kind of trying to make himself an ironic celebrity. Mm. And so he'll, like the thing with the bullet hole on the Bronco and Mm. being like, ha ha, like. Yeah. mm. I mean, it's like so many of the characters from Tiger King. Yeah. They do despicable, deplorable things, but because they're famous, they literally have people lining up to pay to get photos with them. I paid almost $400 to get Carol Baskin (laughs) to send you a birthday message. It's such a weird cultural element that we have. I know. And I didn't realise he had kids either. Mm. What became of them? He had three kids from his first marriage Mm. to his college sweetheart. Oh, actually maybe, no, I think three. They were all born in the 60s, so Mm. they're older. Um, His kids, Sydney and Justin, I think it's, I think the press have left them alone, to be honest. I don't really know much about where they've ended Mm. up except they, they, like were raised by his side of the family and as far as I know um, have a relationship with him now. Mm. So can't think that he did it because mm. how could you, I don't know. It's. I think it's good that we don't know. I think it's good that there's not a lot of info. It's good that they've been protected, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, he's a very disgusting man. Yeah, yeah, a monster, yeah. Mm-hmm. a monster. Far out. Yeah. I knew he was bad. I didn't know he was that bad. Mm. Oh. Crazy story. What a way to kick off the year. Yay. <laughs> um, cool. So we're back and um, weekly-ish, but weekly. And um, yeah, on the road soon. So get your tickets. I never know the website off by heart. Just Google Just The Just Live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, follow us on Instagram. Rate, rate and review. I'm I'm only remembering this because it's the first show of the year and it's like first day back at school where you're still really enthusiastic. We've got our new pencil. Hey, guys, rate and review. It really helps us on the something. Mm. I don't even know what it does. And please, and subscribe because that also makes a difference to things we don't understand. Mm. And, um... We'll figure all that out eventually later. Eventually later. Okay, bye. Bye. Listener.